In this episode, we talk about tech earnings season, unconscious bias, and the evolution of the designer. Welcome to Colored by Design. This discussion series looks at design issues through a uniquely biased lens. Our hope is to empower a new breed of creative as they enter into, mature, and navigate through the business world. I'm Corwin, Senior Global Creative Director. And I'm Jesse, Senior Experience Designer. Let's get into it. Good evening. Hey, man. What's happening? How you been? Good. How are you? Yeah, pretty good week. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, all's well. Had some family and friends in town that we hadn't seen for a while, so it was good times. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, sweet. It's nice that we have this, our world, right? Our kids stay connected through either Xbox, Snapchat, Instagram, all these platforms and stuff. So Fortnite. it's cool. For, definitely Fortnite. <laughs> definitely. Those cats are making $200 million a month. On, on digital. I mean... What Valve did and pioneered back in 2003, um, it's really, I think a lot of people have, have kind of overlooked that as a, as a contributor to technology, um, but they were the pioneers of the App Store, the Valve Store, or the Steam app. Oh, um, okay. They sold games in the you marketplace. Think so? Really? Yeah. I mean, well, that I was in 2003. Mm. Um, so that's really interesting to kind of see how, I, I think more and more people are realizing how valuable these markets are. Right. Um, and, and looking back and saying, wow, you know, Valve really kind of st- started this idea. So that's crazy. Yeah. No. Well, I think that's a, actually I mean, I know I know this week we were kind of going to start looking at some of the uh, discussions around this uh, tech earning uh, world that we're in. You see in all over Bloomberg technology and TechCrunch and Wired and everywhere that um, the tech earnings are in. And man, these stocks are, 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 are it, it, that's a hard business to be in right now. Yeah, I mean, certainly. Um, I mean, it's a great business, but if you're like, you know, on the board of directors or you're the C-level yeah. and yeah. you're responsible for shareholder value. Dude, you got a tough. lot of narratives to kind of juggle. Yeah. Um, you know, Facebook was dominating the headlines uh, this past week. Um, a lot of people will have seen the number. You know, they lost $120 billion in, in I think it was a market cap. Mm-hmm. Um because you know their their earnings were slightly off of expectations, uh, they actually beat uh, earnings per share um, slightly, which is nerdy stuff that you know most folks don't really care that much about. Right. Um, and and Twitter was uh, similarly down. And you know a lot of the the analysis around this has been that this is kind of the the reckoning for social media. Um, a lot of efforts have been underway to clean up these platforms after um, you know the 2016 election cycle and and the accusations of fake news and and, and things like that uh, pro- proliferate, proliferating on the platforms. And so um, uh, both Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey have been. Um, talking about ways that they can kind of clean up their their platforms and make it more difficult for that to happen in the future. Um, we saw efforts with Twitter uh, deleting millions of bots and seeing follower counts go down and things like that. And they actually got rid of so many spammy accounts that their user numbers went down. Right. Uh, they were they were reporting these accounts as part of their growth kind of narrative. Mm. And now that they've gone in and kind of deleted a lot of those accounts their numbers are down, which hurt their stock price. So it's really interesting to kind of see what these efforts to spend more on security or make sure that the conversations that are happening on these platforms are authentic and healthy is doing to the stock price. Right. And what was interesting, um, one of the articles that we were reading, it was, it's, it's man, it, it's fascinating to see how overall their numbers of their, you know, actual users on the platform, specifically, you know, Facebook, right? They weren't they weren't down, right? Right, they were up, right. But 
the, as you pointed out, the growth rate was off analyst projections. You yeah. Know what I mean, yeah. And uh, and again, you know, the analysts are looking at what Facebook has reported historically and what their projections were, and they kind of you know make their um, they they make their predictions and and, and 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 analysis and you know advise the street on you know where you should put your money and you know if you're off you're off. But what was crazy is that I think if I'm remembering right, they were off by like a point, right, a percent or right. so. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's really interesting, and obviously neither you or I are an, are analysts. Nope, um, we're armchair analysts maybe. At, um, man, at, I'm at like best. A, a rocking chair, <laughs> a, a stool analyst. Yeah, um, but again, so much of this investor story is about the narrative of the company moving forward. Right. Uh, you have different classes of investors. You have hyper growth investors who are mm-hmm. really excited about mm-hmm. the opportunity to go from zero to one. Right. And then you yes. have the value investors who are you know. They want to go from 100 to 115, right? right? It's a different stage of your portfolio that you're investing in. Um, and so there's different things that you're getting out of these companies. And as Facebook and these other companies transition from the hyper-growth era more to an, a, a more stable value era, the, the class of investor is going to um, change. Um, so you go from the, the, the value um, or, or the hyper-growth investors to the value investors. Um, but really looking at all these earnings as a whole, it really is kind of interesting to think about uh, something else I, ca- I came across um, as I was doing some reading over, over the past few weeks is this concept called Goodhart's Law. Mm. And Goodhart's Law stated simply is that when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. So that means that when you set too narrow of uh, metrics on something that you're doing, mm-hmm. um, the people that you're working with, or even you yourself, will optimize for that one metric. So for, for sure. example, for sure. if you're in high school or, or school in general, um, we prioritize getting an A. We don't necessarily prioritize actually learning the material. Right. So you will memorize everything you need to know for a test, and then promptly forget it when the test is over to move on to something else. Right. And that is good if you're gaming the system, well not even gaming, if you're playing by the rules that we've set forth in that system, which is you have to get these grades in order to progress and the better your grade, you know, better schools you can get into and things like that. Right. But we're not necessarily prioritizing learning in that instance. So, well let me let me let me bolt onto that cuz we yeah. were this week I said we had some friends in town and one of them um, very good f- friend of ours, and she's a she's a you know a, a, an instructor mm-hmm. at a at a, a prestigious school in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking about like you know how our kids were coming home from school, and the homework that they were being expected to do was not work that was being taught in class, mm-hmm. and she's like, yeah, I bet you that in the classroom the teacher was teaching to the you know preparing them and giving them the material so that they could pass the test, right. But the material that they actually need to, you know, do the work is just being sent home as homework. Right. And so the goal is focus on pass the test, yeah. not actually learn material. Yeah. Which is crazy because sadly we're creating um, families are having to take on the the lion's share of the education. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think there are a lot of people that I that I know that. You know, depending upon what your family's uh, background is or your interest level or whatever, that might be what's being reinforced at home. Right. And so that's where they're learning. So in my house, we're artists. Mm-hmm. I'm a designer. My daughter's a dancer. My wife is a hippie. <laughs> um, you know, so but in, in, in like one of our, our VP of engineering, his wife is a crazy smart mathematician Mm -hmm. and her dad was like super duper smart math guy right right he's an engineer and like math and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and data analysis and all that 
their daughter, who's what, four years old or something crazy? Mm-hmm. She's super smart in math. Yeah. Right. So instead of us having an education system where, and of course, everybody's going to rise to different levels and do good and what they, you know, kind of are, are, you know, attracted or, you know, gravitate towards. Right. Or naturally, I do believe we're naturally good at certain things. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, if you're left to having kids be trained by artists yeah. versus mathematicians and engineers, mm-hmm. you're going to get a dramatic skew. You're going to get that skew anyway. But I mean, I, I feel like at least when I was graduating and going through high school and, 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 and middle school and all that, I was getting the same education as everybody else. Yeah. You know, they were some that were way smarter, of course. But uh, but again, training, you know, focusing on a specific metric can dramatically skew the whole damn thing. Yeah. You know? Um, even even in uh, our, um, our 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 teams, we've seen where uh, you know in your in your marketing or sales organization, you might be so hyper focused on a particular goal or a particular segment that you don't pull your head up to realize that other parts of the business are suffering. Yeah, you know, because you just not so much neglected them as much as you haven't even paid them any attention. Right. You know, so uh, which kind of neglect, I guess, but. Um, and even that is like you can paint any number of different pictures depending on what metrics you decide to pay attention to, like what numbers you want to focus on and what spin you can kind of put on those numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you can paint a, a bad grade as a good grade if you try hard enough. Now, you know whether or not your parents will buy that is a different kind of story. Well, I was I was you know LinkedIn is my social media platform of choice next mm-hmm. to the gram. Um, (laughs) but there was a woman out there and she is a CEO Mm -hmm. and she, uh, posted her results from her SAT Mm -hmm. and she's like, Hey, I did terrible on my SAT, Yeah, you know, but I'm an extremely successful businesswoman. Mm -hmm. And she was, you know, kind of trying to do that just to say, Hey kids, it's not about what these tests are asking of you that demonstrates your value. Right. It's what it's gristle, you know, it's hustle and grit. Right. Gristle. Gristle. (laughs) Uh, but it, it's hustle and grit, right, that really help you get to where you are. Obviously, there has to be some some intellect in there, and you mm-hmm. got you know, to know your stuff. But, um, yeah. But I want to go back to something you were saying about the different types of uh, investors. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, again, huge into crypto, love the stuff, researching it heavily. And I was listening to an investor uh, kind of Q&A. Um, well, actually, it was like an AMA, kind of an Ask Me Anything mm-hmm. session. And, and the guy, somebody asked the question, hey – um, what about this particular uh, protocol project? Are you investing in that? And he's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, that's a great project, great team. Uh, they're solving a real world problem, this, that, and the other, but no, we're not investing. Yeah. And he's like, well, why aren't you investing? Well, we didn't get in on the presale. Mm-hmm. He's like, but it's still a great project. He's like, oh, it's a fantastic project, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to be able to go from zero to 100. Right. The project's now in the position where it's going to go from maybe 100 to 102. Yeah. So it's like, no, I'm, I'm not even going to bother, even though it's an awesome project. Yeah. And I think with Wall Street, you and I as consumers, we don't care about where they're at on that, you know, where the stock is performing. Right. I just care, will this platform or this device or this vehicle satisfy my needs as the consumer? Right. You know, and it's I, I appreciate like remember Elon Musk, he did that. uh where he was kind of basically hanging it. He's like, next question, next question. He was yeah. doing one of his earning calls, I think his Q1 earning calls, and he was just being, you know, just a jerk to some of these dumb questions that yeah. were coming from the investor community. But he's like, dude, The on. short sellers, a lot of people short selling. Right, right. yeah. And, you know, but I, I appreciated it. I'm like, okay, there's somebody that's like, look, I'm focused on something bigger than just yep. this damn stock price. Right. 
I mean, trust and believe he knows his responsibility as the CEO of that organization and the investors that are riding on him. But at the same time, those investors know, hey, man, you got a visionary as a leader right now, and Holmes is trying to get you to the, to Mars. Yeah. And so, you know, he's like, back up. Give me a little room, you yep. know. And, uh, and again, in a very short amount of time, I think he went from very low production numbers on the M3 and got the numbers up by mm -hmm. going in and hand kind of strong-arming it with, you know, himself and making some changes. So getting it to where it needs to be. Yeah. And it's like – I, I'm not a. I'm a fan of data, but I'm 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 kind of I'm kind of like we talked before. There's a lot of great companies and great people doing great things without metrics. Yeah, or and not paying attention to them so so much. Yeah, they're not they're not they're not dictating everything. And and the last thing I'll say before I let you get back to the point you're making is, um, we I had lunch. Uh, with a, with a, with a uh, former co-worker the other day, and he was telling me, he said, I was I was really disappointed because I, I did this bit of research, um, and and I had a a product manager come to me and say, hey, I really want to push this initiative forward, and he's like, well, the data doesn't support it, mm -hmm. the research doesn't support it, right? And the product manager took his research, modified it, yep, to tell his story the way he wanted. Yep. He didn't alter the data. Nope. He altered the results of the data mm -hmm. or the, the the story that the data really. Yeah, you like, don't even have to alter the results. Just change the story you're telling with the yeah. with the numbers. Right. It's so easy to do. It is. It's, and, and, and so that's And we kinda, act like research is like the end-all, be-all, like, no, this who, is what the research says. Well, who's telling the story? Right. Who's telling the story? What's their motivation? Yeah. And that's something that we have to figure out how we can. I mean, I, I try to be just as honest as I can. Yeah. And, you know, our, our, you know, we'll kind of touch on this idea of unconscious bias. I have a very, my, one of my biggest pet peeves are unhealthy bias. Because mm -hmm. we're all biased. Yeah. Fine. I'm a designer. You're a designer. I know we want to make things delightful and as cool and as elegant and as frictionless as possible. Yep. Uh, you know, but there's other people who are, you know, CFOs. And mm -hmm. their bias has to be towards the dollars and cents. Yeah. But, you know, there's a middle ground where we can make sure we drive the revenue we need to by making sure the products are X, Y, Z to mm -hmm. satisfy our customers. So it's like we got to get past this uh, this manipulation of the data. Yeah. And if you're going to use data, then use the data. Yeah. And let's try to call it as straight as we can. Sure, it can be interpreted one way or the other, but let's try to be genuine and, and as honest as we can to make good decisions for the people we're trying to help us move that stock price, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm all for the stock going up. Yeah. I want to see go up, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that, that this is kind of surfaced because I deeply believe in the power of good data, but I also deeply believe in the fact that any number of metrics can be used to tell the same story mm -hmm. or you can tell two completely separate stories with the exact same data set. Yep. It really just depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And so we have to remember that all the research that we do, all the data that we gather is in service of something else. And those things are supporting that. But I don't know. You gain insight from data. Right. But you have to gain insight from the data. The data just doesn't give it to you. Right. You have to look at the numbers and figure out what it is that they're telling you. Right. So it's and, – and two different people can look at those numbers and get two different insights, which is why not everyone is equipped to do the things that certain people can do. That's right. They're not – they're going to look at the same numbers and see two completely different stories. And so often, and especially in, in design, when you start talking about user research and, and things like that, you think that you're gleaning something that is 
immutable. Like this is the one truth mm. that I got from this information. Right. And obviously there's a lot of processes around gathering utterances and then synthesizing those things down into insights. Mm-hmm. But five different people can get five different insights from the same set of data. And so you yeah. go back to that point you had about visionary leaders. Um, we, we can look at this in the context of Elon. I think this is the most kind of poignant example right now. You could always go back to any number of other leaders in tech. But when the stated goal is to uh, ensure the light of human consciousness doesn't, isn't extinguished, mm. right? Mm. You look at that and then you look at it next to like SpaceX valuation or Tesla valuation and fluctuations in the in the stock price or in the operating margin and things like that. It's like, okay. So these numbers are important. They're great. They're telling me about the health of the business. But the goal is is way, way over here. Right. Uh yeah. And that's it's true. it's it's clearly stated like, hey, these things are necessary yep. and the, the the performance of the business is important all in service of this other thing that I'm trying to accomplish. Yep. And so it's, I think, really interesting, especially, I mean, even in light of the, the Facebook um, loss in the market cap, those were uh, self-inflicted wounds. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg did those things because he has a vision for the future of the platform that requires this increased investment in security, right? Because you want the ha- platform to be healthier. Twitter, yeah. they yep. killed those spam accounts not they could have left them and, and had those user number those count towards their numbers in the way that they did or their growth right. in the way that they did, but they killed them in order to increase the health of conversations on the platform. That's right. And so I I, th- I think it's just important and, and again that kind of goes back to where we started. I think it's important that we have a clear picture of the metrics that we're using to gauge whether or not we're successful in doing something. Totally. There is uh, this. I was not planning on saying this, and I wasn't planning on bringing this up, but. Um, to, to the health of, of, you, of, your, uh, of your platform, mm-hmm. the users, the accounts on it, the data on it and all that. We did something similar here where we went through and, uh, you know, clean up our email mm-hmm. database, right? We have a subscriber database that yeah. people, you know, want to say, wow, you guys, you know, have a certain audience that, that your, your email list can, uh, can target. And so, you know, that's part of the service we provide by saying, hey, you know, we're going to, you know, help brands connect to those, those audiences, right? Right. Well, we went through and we were seeing a certain level of conversion and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, we'll be, you know, we'd be sitting there looking at, at the numbers saying, wow, we have this huge database of people, which is great. Mm-hmm. And, and we would say, you know, we, 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 we'd promote that. But what we ended up doing, we had a, a, a team come in and they kind of scrubbed the, the list right. and went back and said, hey, if you haven't engaged with us inside of six and 12 months, mm-hmm. then we're going to drop you from the, the role. So the number went down. Yeah. Right, because obviously people might have been active way back in the day, but now they've just dropped off. So you know it's fine, and uh, we cleaned the list. I can't remember how it decreased, mm-hmm. but what we saw was a tremendous increase in uh, conversion and right. engagement from the people that wanted were the remaining. content. Yeah. yeah. So our, our conversion numbers and, and engagement were probably very good all the while, but it was just kind of weighed down because of the the amount of inactive. Uh, you know, aud- uh, members in our audience that we right. were kind of, you know, sending content to. Right. So I love the purge. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and uh, I think it can be totally healthy. Um, yeah, but there's this other concept that is on, if you go to, oh gosh, and this is, all right, we're, like I said, we're live keeping it real. Um, there's this article called Dead Snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it's on 
a website called First Something Media. Oh, gosh. Now I'm trying to look it up live while we're sitting here recording this thing. But anyways, the concept is, you know, in your organizations, um, well, Harvard Business Review has an article. So if you do a search for dead snakes as it relates to management advice and things like that, you'll find that they have this concept of inside of your companies, you might have, or even your, you could take this to, to your personal life. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have a whole bunch of things that you're doing that are really not adding much value. They're not really helping you out. Um, and you should go ahead and kill it, but yeah. don't play with it. Either yeah. kill it, chop off the head and get it out of your life, mm-hmm. you know, um, or don't. And uh, so, you know, see if you can do a search for uh, this Dead Snakes article and, and read it because it, it is talking about getting rid of things that aren't adding value and make a commitment to and a decision and document it. Don't bring that back up again. Right. Um, let it go. It didn't work for us. It didn't, didn't, you know, let it go. Caveat to that, I do believe that some ideas poorly executed are still good ideas. Right. Right, because, you know, I mean, hey, I, I've, I mean, I think as designers, one part of your job is to turn bad ideas into great ones. Right. And, uh, you know, we, you know, hey, just because somebody implemented a piece of functionality or a workflow or whatever and it didn't perform well, doesn't mean that it's bad. It means that it might have not have been executed at its best. Right. Um, so, so, you know, I just throw that little caveat out there. But <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so, um, yeah, definitely cleaning up things. And I appreciate what Zuckerberg's trying to do, right? Getting yeah. The data security tight, getting the accounts right. And also going back to the fake news thing, mm-hmm. it's not even alleged fake news. There's actually people that make real money. I was watching 60 Minutes, and there's cats on there that are making real money off actually publishing fake news. Yeah, totally. It's and like, it's, it's crazy. There's so many things that ultimately I, I was reading something, and, you know, this is philosophical, but – Wax poetic, son. Waxing, yeah, waxing poetic. Um, a lot of the issues that we run into with these social media platforms arise largely due to the fact that they're a reflection of humanity, right? We're capable of really great okay. things. We're also capable of really terrible things. Oh, yeah. And I think with or without Facebook, there'd be people spreading misinformation for their own personal gain. For sure. Um, so it's an interesting problem from a product and design perspective to have to solve for, right? Um, Minimizing our worst tendencies and maximizing our best. Um, Zuckerberg is talking about wanting more people to belong to what he calls meaningful communities, Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's like spouses of people who are deployed in the military or people with rare diseases to find support that they wouldn't otherwise be able to find because they're maybe these people are really disparate across a lot of different spaces. So, um, there's a lot of value that these platforms provide and the narrative right now is primarily negative around these things. Um, But I do think that it's important that we don't lose sight of the fact that there is a lot of positive being added as well. Right. For sure. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Right on. Well, I do wish all those folks that are out there trying to do good, good. Yeah. Wish them well. Um, And again, I, you know, um, yeah, it's it, it's tough when you get the investors involved, but you know, hey, we need the money to go build these and, projects. And so. interestingly, again, back to that, the narrative that's built around you know these things, uh, the narrative around Facebook and Twitter, um, and even Google with some of the GDPR stuff that was happening, and that I think we'll we'll get into a little bit later on. Um, the narrative is around you know the stock price and it being down, but the core businesses underlying these are as strong as ever. Absolutely. If Absolutely. not stronger yeah. than ever. So 
again, you can paint a number of different pictures with the with the numbers that you're looking at. Um, and so it's important to realize that, you know, let's look at the overarching narrative and who's pushing that narrative and why. Right. Yep. And it's a long-term view, too. Yeah. You know, these guys, like I said, Elon's trying to build something. He's thinking way down the road. Yeah. And everything he's doing, the Solar City stuff, the Tesla stuff, the the, the boring company, all that jazz. Yeah. Holmes, is, Holmes isn't thinking about tomorrow yeah. and next quarter. You know? No, not at all. Yeah. Cool. So another topic that um, is one of these things we kind of said, you know, part of this little discussion series, because obviously we are looking at this uh, this design business and, and everything we kind of see, sometimes it pops up through this uniquely biased lens mm-hmm. of being, you know, two black dudes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I came across, uh, like I said, I'm on LinkedIn, and I came across this great little snippet um, from Inc. Magazine, and and it was a, uh, you know, this this little thumbnail, and it said, you know, there there's still unconscious bias, and it was a, um, you know, it was it was a it was a, a nice little bit of clickbait. I I dropped into it, and it was a cool little interview snippet from a, uh, a CEO mm-hmm. and uh, and she was talking about how in you know she's fought her way to the top you know she's on the board of directors she's doing all these things and now she's um, this individual woman is actually you know Nina Nina Vaca she's the uh, chairman and CEO of the Pinnacle Group mm-hmm. and uh, she was just telling about how she had this this experience on a conference call where you know, everybody was kind of, you know, on this board of directors and they're taking a call from offices and home and other things. And, you know, everybody, you know, has their phone on mute. And, um, you know, somebody heard uh, a vacuum cleaner in the background. Mm-hmm. And one of the gentlemen on the call said, hey, Nina, is that you? Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, she being a woman, she's saying, man, why would you target me with that? You know, kind yeah. of this, you know, the guy was probably trying to be funny, telling a little joke, blah, 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 whatever, mm-hmm. trying to be cheeky. And, and you know, she was, you know, obviously from her reply, she felt some kind of way about it, right. mildly offended, but she, she handled it with finesse. Right. She handled it, she stayed cool, calm and collected. And she replied, she said, oh, no, Joe, that would be impossible because in my house, a man does that type of work. Yeah. You know, and everybody laughed and da-da-da. And she went on to explain how, you know, she had a conversation with the individual, this, this, that, and the other. But I think it's fascinating that how do we get around our unconscious bias. I don't think, I mean, un- the fact that it's unconscious means you don't even know it's on you. Right. You know what I mean? I think we're all guilty of it. Mm-hmm. And that was something you and I were talking about. It's like, I want to be careful. And we said this a long time ago. I don't want to label people mm-hmm. with some really strong words when they're doing something they're not even honestly aware they're doing. Yeah. Some folks are hella aware. Yeah. And they know exactly what they're trying to do when they say certain things or you know, treat you a certain way, mm-hmm. they know exactly why they're doing it. Yeah. But there are a lot of people that really just don't know. Yeah. You know, and and uh, this topic of unconscious bias is something that uh, I think, you know, as we talk about diversity and inclusion initiatives, again, this was a female woman, um, and I believe she was a, you know, uh, a, a Latina woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's like it, it, it impacts all of us in different ways. Yeah. You know. And um, – I think I know that there are workshops that you can do and trainings that you can do, um, especially when you're in corporate environments. I'll be undergoing uh, or, or participating in an unconscious bias kind of training and workshop here in a few weeks. Awesome. Um, I think it's important for everyone to be aware uh, of, of their unconscious biases. And one of the reasons why it's so difficult to um, correct is that if you never encounter it, you won't know that it's there. Um, oh, man, unfortunately true. And 
you know, we were having this discussion about we are asking a lot, not even a lot. No, I won't say what we're asking a lot. We're asking for um, equal treatment and we're asking for uh, consideration in, in, in some of these things that we do. And I think it's important that we offer that to other people. So for example, if if someone makes a disparaging comment to you that is not on the nose, like there's mm-hmm. no way you didn't know what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And you might think there's no way you didn't know what you were doing. Right. But I think I think everyone is entitled to one free non super egregious pass. Bro, I need I need I need more than one free pass. Well, I, I at least one, right? <laughs> I need I need a few. Now again, because Here's something. So one of my very good friends, he's a, a different political affiliation than I am. I want to say that, and he is very, very much of the of the spirit of uh, we're too politically correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the point where you can't even have a conversation with somebody. Yeah, and I have to agree, right? I mean, you know, so it's like there's going to be biases. There's going to be the way you were raised, where you grew up, the environments that you work in, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know if this is something we can actually really solve. I think you, and I think most people do a really good job of being um, tasteful in mm-hmm. the way they communicate. Mm-hmm. You know, I was listening to uh, Mike Pompeo doing, he was having a, you know, in front of Congress or something, you know, getting grilled. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cory Booker was like saying, hey, we had this private conversation the other day where we were talking about different ethnicities, different religions, different sexual preferences and all this kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. he tried to kind of blast the dude Mm -hmm. you know and i'm like that's kind of cold man you had a a conversation in private and here you're going to kind of bring it out here on the public stage about this guy but mike pompeo who i not necessarily the biggest fan of the way he's communicating his position right now Mm -hmm. but he was he was like you know hey look man i'm gonna afford every single person regardless of religion ethnicity creed etc the 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 the, the treatment that they deserve. Mm-hmm. And I think he was being genuine, not saying, oh, if you deserve bad treatment, I'm gonna give you bad treatment. Mm-hmm. He wasn't saying that. He's like, hey man, I'm gonna try to be, res- I, I work with all kinds of different people. Mm-hmm. Under my watch, we had to fight some, you know, tough, tough terrorist situations. And we partnered with, you know, Muslim communities and, and, and all kinds of other folks. There's people on my staff. It's like, I don't think we can ever win this thing. I mean, everybody is trying to do, not everybody, let me back that up. Mm-hmm. I do believe people are actually <laughs> trying to do their best to say, I'm just trying to go through life, do my job, do my part. And I'm constantly confronted with, oh, the bias, the bigotry, the racism, right. the sexism, the ageism, the blah, blah, blahism. And, you know, I mean, how do we, how do we focus on the right things? And what are the right things? Because right. now everybody's got a, got a, 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 some kind of you know, pointing a finger at, oh, you're treating me X, Y, Z kind of way. Right. You know what I mean? I think that what's necessary is that we afford everyone the benefit of the doubt, which increasingly I think we're less willing to do. Um, I think we have to assume the best intentions until we are proven otherwise. And I think that when we think about these issues or we think about people making maybe disparaging comments, it's really easy to say, when it's a race thing, we're two black guys, someone makes a disparaging comment about black people. It's it's very easy for us to be like, come on, bro, that's obvious. You can't do that. Right. Um, or if you're a woman, it, it's very easy to say, come on, you should have known that's like a, 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 a disparaging thing towards women. Right. 
Um, so we, we look at these issues of race and gender and we say, okay, you know, I think for a lot of people, those are areas that we feel are really obvious that you shouldn't miss. Um, and even, obvious even, to me. Even still they're on obvious that. obvious to you. Yeah, exactly. There are some things that are obvious to black people that you should not say about black people. But, and, but, 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 but if I'm being fair, white people don't know that. And that's Mexicans what, don't that's know That's what that. I'm getting Asians to. Are, yeah. As black people, we know like, okay, there's, and again, there is a line between genuine ignorance and trying to be slick. Using coded language, for sure, we get it. We yeah. know, yeah. right? right. And, and, and I'm sure that there are similar things for women as well. Oh, um, sure. But when you get into some of these other issues like sexual orientation or even non-binary genders, we're having some work. Um, not even gender. I don't even. I don't, I don't. And that's the thing. I don't even know if you refer to that as a gender. Mm. Um, non-binary identification mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um th these are issues that may not be new but are new to the workplace they mm -hmm. are new to corporate environments they're new probably even to um i think it's safe to say a majority of people given that a majority of people do identify as one of two genders yeah so uh even that's very difficult for people to get to and if you are a non-binary person individual uh there's a certain amount of education that has to happen societally before we ever get to the point where I could even know how to refer to you. I don't, right. and I don't think most people do. You know, we are just now getting to, there needs to be a third option on this gender field we have to have filled in. Mm. What do we do? Uh, we, you know, there is, obviously there's the, I choose not to disclose portion of those things, but we're getting into some issues of identity politics here, um, and I don't want to go too deep down that rabbit hole, but yeah. just to that point, um, I think that it's, it's we shouldn't assume malintent in a lot of these interactions. We should assume, yeah, yeah. And, and, to, and, and, and I say that as a person who, as a black man, uh, you know, I put my bias on the table. I have been in interactions where it's like, that feels egregious. Like you mm -hmm. should know better mm -hmm. than to say this or say that or say this about black people. Oh, but you're different. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that was like the theme mm -hmm. of my childhood and, and, and <laughs> even to my adulthood. Oh, but you're different. Right. right, uh, right. I, you know, different than what the stereotype and or different than what you expected of me, what you expected because of your lack of exposure experience, you know, insights, so, knowledge, whatever. So, yeah. you know, there's, and again, I think this is a, um, an issue that, we have to assume it's unconscious until it's proven otherwise. And I think that, you know, like you said, you know when somebody's trying to be slick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, that that's that that's the thing, right? I mean, we're not stupid. And uh, my, my, my kids, right? My son is going to be 15 here in a minute. My daughter's mm -hmm. 13. And I'm having to teach them about what we call, quote, unquote, common sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, man. It's common sense. You don't do that. Right. No, it's common sense to us because we've been on this planet for so long and mm -hmm. we've run up against, to your point earlier, we've run up against, ooh, ooh, ooh. You don't do that in polite society. Mm -hmm. You know, so now it's like, okay, hold on. I got to teach him in this culture. Mm -hmm. For example, I love our team in China. I get to go to China all the time. And, and man, when they're eating, bro, <laughs> it is going down. Yeah. <laughs> they're slurping their heads down. There's no conversation. And when, when they're done... They sit there for a beat, get up, walk away. Mm -hmm. You know, we're used to kind of talking while you eat, hang yeah. out. It's a little slower. Go at it. Oh, yeah. May I, oh, excuse me. May I pass some salt, please? Oh, no, no, no. It's just scar, 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 mm -hmm. scar. And so, you know, so 
what's polite in the United States is different from what's polite in China. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think, and I would have never known that had I not had, you know, these these great coworkers and, and team members that are teaching me about the world. Yeah. You know, I had somebody say something to me the other day about, um, uh, I was telling them that, that kind of that story. And they're like, oh, well, what is it like? But why, you know, we got on the topic of, you know, Asian drivers. And there's a stereotype that Asian drivers aren't good mm -hmm. in America. And I said, you know what, dude? I don't think that's right. Mm -hmm. Asian drivers, when I was in China, they drive amazingly well. Mm -hmm. They are 50 bazillion cars on the road, scooters, bikes, buses. Mm -hmm. They are all bumper to bumper, side by side. You can stick your finger out the window and touch the car next <laughs> to you, right? And there's no dents on the cars. There's no accidents that I saw. I mm -hmm. might have saw one accident the whole time I visited, mm -hmm. all the times I visited. But now they come here to the United States, and, you know, we've got a lot of room between our cars, and, you know, we give ourselves, even though we might have tailgaters and stuff, it's like you give people pretty a lot of space. Mm -hmm. So I feel like if I'm from that environment and I'm just tucked right up underneath you, you might think I'm driving bad. It's like, no, I, was, I thought that's how we drove. We mm -hmm. drove close to each other. Yeah. So I think not having those understanding of how different cultures and different people groups do things, you know, you look like you're being rude right. or you're a bad driver. It's like, no, culturally where I come from, this is how we get down. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't know that's how you guys didn't flow that way here. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you know, we got to give people a pass. But, you know, I mean, you know when people are, 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 are being rude and kind of trying to cut you. I love that you kind of highlighted that because that's another thing I didn't really speak directly to. But you can be of the same race and from completely different cultures mm, that do things absolutely. completely differently. Um, and that's a whole nother kind of set of expectations that um, you have to take into consideration when you're interacting with people in a business environment. Absolutely. So again, that's really, that's an easy one to kind of, you know, trip, trip over yourself uh, on. Oh my God. Look, look, so can we just go ahead and do a little public service announcement for everybody? <laughs> Black, white, Asian, Latino, I don't care where you're from. All people are not the same. Mm -hmm. All black folks aren't the same. All white folks aren't the same. Mm -hmm. All Asians aren't the same. All Latinos aren't the same. All uh, Salvadorians aren't the same. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like to that very point. I mean, we just had this conversation at my house this weekend, and we were talking about when you're having a dinner party. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you're inviting coworkers over, well, I might not invite certain members of my family over. Right. You know what I'm saying? But if I'm inviting just my friends and we're just hanging out, drinking beers and barbecuing or whatever, well, I might invite other people. Mm -hmm. I might not invite the coworkers. They might be too stuffy to come over and really kick it if we want to yeah. play loud music and have a good time and just yeah. shoot the breeze, right? So it's like everybody is not the same. Mm -hmm. And uh, even amongst your own ethnic group or your own people group, right? Grew up in San, worked in San Francisco, love San Francisco. Um, the gay community. Oh my gosh, there is no stereotypical gay person mm -hmm. in, in, in from from my uh, opinion, mm -hmm. my estimation, from my exposure. I mean, I saw the gamut: people you didn't know that were gay, mm -hmm. people that you clearly knew that were gay, people that were you know cross dressers and they you know were gay, and people that were cross dressers that weren't gay. <laughs> so it's like, yo, you can't put people in boxes anymore. And I feel like it's a good thing that we're being exposed to this global community. And we're all learning about new people and new cultures. And it's like, yo, accept it. We're all here. Let's just learn to work together, live together, and, and flow in harmony, you know? Yeah, that's that's another interesting point that maybe we can get to at some point. Um, when you're having gatherings outside of the office that are not about work, that you have a mixture of friends and coworkers mm. at, and the 
the interactions that are okay to have. Ooh. It's uh, I mean, I've I mean, now if we're all being real with ourselves, we've seen very interesting things happen in these environments. Right. So we don't have to get into that right now. No, 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 um, no. I'm going to actually bring up something that somebody told me about you, sir. Uh oh. Here we go. Here we go. I, I won't go into details. There's nothing, nothing ridiculous. You wouldn't be embarrassed, but. Um, we were just talking. I was hanging out with Dan and Kevin, mm-hmm. right? We're in the in the you know my uh, friend Dan was having a birthday, and he was at Lake Travis in Austin, and he was sitting there in the lake. And I went by the house and said, "Oh, I'm just gonna get in the water and hang out with them guys, right?" And they're just talking, and they said, "Hey, have you ever been with Jesse when he's been drinking?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Oh no." He's like, "Oh, it's quite funny the way he <laughs> eats a hamburger." Oh my gosh! <laughs> or the way he eats a steak <laughs> when he's had some beverages can be quite entertaining. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so you probably know what they're getting at. Yeah. Yeah, but anyways. Um, it yeah. was not with ketchup. Right. That's a, that's a crime <laughs> against humanity. Oh, that is a crime. Don't do it if so, you're putting ketchup on your steak. You're losing it. But anyway, so yeah, no, that's a good point. So we, um, you actually hit me uh, for a topic on this this week, and it was about the evolution of the designer. So I'm, I'm interested Man. to hear more about your thoughts there. It's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. You know, I, I, I think that we're, um, we're so, you know, I think those of us that love design and that have found this as a profession, I mean, we're really fortunate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a fun, fun, fun uh, profession. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I think that those of us that get to, to, to live and work in it are, are really, really blessed. And I hope other people, you know, you know, enjoy, enjoy their, their jobs as much as, as we get to. Um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, one of the things I was coming across the article, you know, again, love LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but this was an article written, uh, it wasn't written by the people at Envision. I think it was reposted from some other author or whatever, mm-hmm. but it said, you know, the, art, the, the, it's on the Envision blog. It says, move over UX, a new movement is here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was talking about how motion and video are, um, the new kind of, the new place where you can put uh, special attention on the user's experience and really make sure you're, you know, um, enhancing their, 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 you know, time on your platform. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they said, Hey, look at what user experience did for this. Now we got video. And I was like, all right. And so it prompted me to write our first, our first post Mm -hmm. on medium. Right. We do have a medium. Yeah. Um, We'll be posting more there, more thoughts there, but, the Corwin is up there now. Oh man! And 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 when I start when I start getting putting the keyboard the keys to the, to the, to the, to the fingers and the digits, woo! The words <laughs> my vocabulary is sweet. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I I said you know um, I said well and I replied on this 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 individual's post. I said look, motion and video have been part of the digital experience since day one, and that's I'm talking day one of the internet, like mid '90s. Mm-hmm. You know, and I said the limits of technology have always been the challenge. It's never been the limit of the designers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, you know, we thought about all these things from the get go. And so when I think of the evolution of the designer, um, I got into the design business and I discovered graphic design in like 91, 92. Mm-hmm. F- oddly enough, I was taking literally printmaking and graphic design classes and, you know, pulling typography off a lecture set machine and hand you know, mocking up type and type galleys and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. in high school. Hated it. 
<laughs> hated every piece of it because it was so manual. Yeah. You know, and that's when the computers started coming out, but they weren't really like personal computers and big adoption. My dad had one and, mm-hmm. you know, but it was a PC and I was like, there's going to have to be a better way than this because it's painful. <laughs> so, so I didn't really embrace it as much and which was funny because I was, I was always an artist, always a designer. So, but I had fun with it and, but nevertheless in high school, I didn't like graphic design. Mm-hmm. But then when I found out what graphic design could really do packaging and, 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 you know, posters and identities and, you know, and books and annual reports and magazines and, mm-hmm. you know, TV graphics and film graphics. Mm-hmm. I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that, you know, all I thought you could do was run a piece of letterpress paper through the press and get some nice kind of impressions, you know? Right. Um, so I, 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 I you know, I, I love that the business has evolved. And so when I got into it, um, there were a lot of traditional graphic designers that were reluctant to go into this new digital era and start embracing mm-hmm. the web and things like that. But there were some of them that were totally excited about it. Mm-hmm. And they took it and they just grabbed the bull by the horns and ran with it. And I kind of was like, yeah, I'm the new kid on the block. I was young, fresh in the game. And I jumped in there and started designing for this digital space as well. And at that time, it was one, it, you were still a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. You just happened to be designing for the web. right? You know, and then early 2000s came along and, uh, you know, you started seeing user experience roles starting to kind of come out, not in mm-hmm. mass, but, you know, bit by bit here and there, you know, starting the, 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 the discipline started to evolve. Um, you had, you know, interaction. I'm sorry, you had information architects that were starting to help kind of structure data in, in mm-hmm. a different way because, yeah. you know, nobody was really used to taking that information like that. We were used to a very page by page approach with mm-hmm. magazines and books and things of that nature. Um and so then you started evolving into the web designers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then the web designer evolved into split off and became a, a front-end engineer or or, uh, or a visual designer. Mm-hmm. And then and an interaction designer. So you had all these splinters happening. And, and then you had people that decided to say, well, I don't like the digital space. I'm going to stick over here with the illustration, the hand-drawn typography, and more of the craft side of the business. Mm-hmm. And then you had other people that doubled down on the digital side. And, you know, now there's degree programs at prestigious universities for it all. And, you know, companies being bought by other corporations. And so, and, and the, the, the evolution now, I was having a conversation with one of our coworkers and they are part of the research team mm-hmm. and they consider themselves designers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's fascinating. I had to step back and say, I personally, have to expand my definition of what a designer is. Mm -hmm. And it's been expanded so far that now it's over here to the point where people that aren't designers consider themselves designers and they can't design worth a damn, Mm -hmm. but they have all the tools and they have access to uh, the ability to copy and paste from what Airbnb did or what, you know, American Airlines has done or what Uber has done Mm -hmm. or or, or Facebook, and they can just cobble it together and say, hey, here's my, you know, product. And Mm -hmm. there's so many uh, lessons learned and there's such still a skill and a craft that gets missed that I'm not really all that satisfied with the quality of the output now. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, it's been fascinating to see how we've, um, matured, grown, become quite relevant in a lot of uh, companies, product in- environments. I mean, designers have always known the value of good design, mm-hmm. and now corporations are starting to get it. Um, so I think that they're, and now what's also very, very true is that I went through a very rigorous design education, and now we have a lot more people that are self-taught. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for the self-taught, um, and I think it's great. I'm, you know, I'm kind of on the fence about the value of our, you know, college education system, especially in the arts. 
Um, you know, but we have to get back to making certain that you understand why you're doing what you're doing and not just stitching things together that was for somebody else's business case or use case that mm-hmm. you think is relevant and applicable to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I can't take Facebook's news feed and drop it into my financial planning app. Mm-hmm. It, 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 there, there, you know, there's, there's two completely different you know, needs going on there. Yeah. So the evolution of designer has been great. Design being embraced more and being seen as a valuable tool is fantastic. But, um, you know, I do want to figure out how can we make sure that the craft and the industry stays reputable mm-hmm. and doesn't suffer from, you know, just copy, paste, copy, paste. And back in the day, it used to be, oh, my son designed our business card and my friend thought that pink would be a better color than Mm -hmm. your recommendation of blues you know Mm -hmm. it's like oh my gosh we always had to deal with that but now we have people that can grab any tools and download you know tutorials and kits offline and Mm -hmm. and, and build stuff and I love the accessibility but I'm a little concerned that we're starting to water down the expertise Mm -hmm. and the effectiveness of what really good design can can bring to customers and and users Mm -hmm. you know so anyway so it sounds like your main concern, and I think this is probably something that's been echoed before, and I know that you know that, so I want to hone in a little bit on what you're saying. I, I'm sure that there's always been uh, gatekeepers to design yeah. where the people who did everything by hand felt that the people who, when computers were introduced, if you start, if you never did it by hand and started on a computer, you weren't a real designer. Right. right? You needed to go back and actually do the, the, the manual work uh, of typesetting and things like that. Right. And with each generation that's progressed, the previous generation has kind of said, you know, that's not real design. Mm. Um, there are, I believe, uh, universal kind of principles of design For sure. that every designer should be aware of. Um, so it's so I, I, w- I want to zoom in a little bit on what you're saying. You're, you're not you're not a gatekeeper. Uh, you know, I when you hired me, I was I am a self-taught designer, and mm-hmm. I did not have necessarily an appreciation for all the principles that I was able to learn mm-hmm. um, or explicitly learn. I had a sense implicitly of what they were, but I was able to learn more explicitly what those things were. So uh, for our audience, Corwin is 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 a champion of of those that are kind of self-taught or, or as long as you display kind of the passion for the for the field and, and a desire to learn, he's he's the guy to go to to learn. But it sounds like you're saying more that you want to make sure that um, some of the craft isn't being lost and some of the yeah. thinking isn't being lost. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want us, and again, to your point, um, like I said, I'm not a, I, I don't really, I'm not a fan of education as far as you gotta have it. Mm-hmm. You gotta be able to do what needs to be done. Yeah, I don't care if you went to school for one minute or no minutes. If you can get down and you can solve the problem mm-hmm. and you have all the the bits in place, then then that's that's awesome. I I'm like I applaud that. Yeah, you know what I mean. I didn't have that. I needed to go learn, sit at the feet of some some very very skilled um, artisans before me and and learn the craft. You mm-hmm. know, um, so you know it, it it's it's. I don't want, um, you know, and 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 there. If, if I think about like science, mm-hmm. I mean, the stuff that we're seeing now in our world is st- there's still foundational aspects of 
medicine, biology, mathematics, and all that, yep. that, 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 that carry on, they transcend time. They're like almost like universal truths. Yep. And I believe that that's the same in the design area. It's the same in anything, right? I mean, if you're a shoemaker, mm-hmm. sure, you might be walking around in some, you know, Balenciagas, you know what I'm saying? You might be walking around in some Yeezys or you might be walking around in a pair of Louboutins. Mm-hmm. There are still core principles to the, how the foot is shaped, how, you know, arches work, heel, toe combinate in the stride of a person and that this that you need to understand in order to make a good shoe. Yeah. And so all I'm saying is I want to make sure that people understand why they're using the tools and the way they do. And you're not going to always, right? So, like, I love typography. Mm-hmm. And I know that certain typography is going to make you feel a certain way. Yeah. And if you look at – think about it. If you guys want to go do a little bit of homework, I challenge you to go to, you know, websites like Travelocity, Expedia, or, you know, Kayak and Airbnb and those types of things they're all publishing relatively the exact same kind of information mm-hmm. but certain platforms and certain sites and certain brands make you feel something totally different mm-hmm. and if you step back and take screenshots of it all and turn it black and white and strip away all the color um, you'll start to see reasons why it makes you feel a certain way mm-hmm. you know there's air and white space and there's um, a sensibility to the hierarchy of information that makes it easier to to read and scan you know with the way that they decided to have their you know their h1 set up versus the way that their body copy set up and h1 h2 and the body copy it's not all the same size and all the same weight mm-hmm. you know there's there's these little subtle details that really make it easy for the eye to be read you know i don't know if most people know this but there's a reason why you see columns um, various reasons why you see columns in magazines versus just pages going, you know, eight inches of, you know, content going from left to right on a page, mm-hmm. you know, and it's because science has demonstrated that after reading long line lengths, you start to fatigue the neck, you start to fatigue the eyes. Mm-hmm. So shorter line lengths, I believe it's like 57 or 60 characters is the ideal, mm-hmm. you know, amount of character that count that you might want to have on a line, mm-hmm. you know, so... Um, shorter is fine and you know uh, newspapers and magazines are set up a certain way and I learned this when I was working at my first ad agency scanning options mm-hmm. right it's like when you are have a, a, a you know a, a viewer of your page content video doesn't matter you need to give them scanning options because ultimately you're trying to communicate a wealth of information and trying to nudge them in a direction that your client or your project or your you know the the you know, the business is needing you to push people and get them to make a decision one way or the other. So mm-hmm. we're halfway manipulating decisions. Yeah. And so, you know, there is a methodology that's being deployed to help you see a high level chunk of information. And if that captures your attention, drop you down to the next tier of maybe an intro sentence. And if that retains your information, get you to read the full length of the body copy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's all systematic. It's not like, oh, because I think it looks cool. Mm-hmm. It's by design. Yeah. You know, not to use the pun, right? But so there's all these nuances that I really hope that our new designers, mm-hmm. whether you're a young designer or you're a, you know, uh, a, a, a researcher that's now doing design as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Welcome. Come on. Let's get down and let's do this together. But I want to make sure that our profession is not being marginalized because of the lack of 
knowledge that's going into the work that we're producing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and I think there's always going to be some level of people coming in and, and doing that copy paste. Uh, the cream always rises to the top. Um, but I, I think I, I like to think so. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I've I, seen I a lot of curd at the top of some <laughs> of this stuff. Jeez. Well, I, I love the I love the kind of parallel that you drew to science. Um, Einstein's theories are still being proven to this day. Hmm. The 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 tools that we have to measure some of these things um, have have improved so much, and we're still going back and checking against them. And time and again, we're proving them to be uh, right. Um, Newton's laws are still Newton's laws, right? There are fundamental concepts and principles and theories and laws that are uh, true, and that all um, and that all all science after it builds on top of. And right. so similarly with design, there are kind of some some key principles that are true that I think we all need to understand and learn yep. to be able to build on top of. Yeah, and then break them. Yeah. Break the, I'm a rule breaker. Yeah. I hate the rules. I like to understand what its purpose and intent is for and then break it. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things that I, I grew up, my dad gave me a, a 65 Volkswagen Beetle when I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he taught me how to rebuild the engine and, you know, and then, of course, I wanted to lower it, put a dope sound system <laughs> in it. So, you know, I solicited the expertise of other mechanics. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a mechanic. I'm a 12-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. But I went to the mechanics that were cool enough to teach me how to modify the, the suspension and do those things. So I got the car to look and feel the way I want. I learned it so well that I made it into a right-hand drive vehicle mm -hmm. because I understood, oh, this is how the vehicle works completely. Mm-hmm. What if I just flipped everything over to the other side, mm -hmm. you know? What if I had a reflect <laughs> function, you know? And, wow, it worked because I understood the mechanics of it. And then I could make it whatever. Now mm -hmm. me and my son are getting ready to start a project where I'm going to basically turn an old-school Volkswagen chassis into a replica Formula One race car. Mm -hmm. Because now I've been studying Formula One. I love it as a sport, but I love the design and the technology and the innovation of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm studying suspensions I'm studying how you sculpt you know foam in and then layer it with fiberglass or vacuum form it to get the body contours and stuff and mm -hmm. how do you I'm studying that stuff mm -hmm. because I appreciate the car makers mm -hmm. and I appreciate appreciate their craft and I'm learning from them how do you guys do it then I'm gonna bring it and my son and I are gonna turn it into a project in the garage right that's awesome yeah and but I had to start with how the pros do it. I have to right. learn the foundation. I can't go out in the garage and say, all right, grab a block of wood and let's start <laughs> hammering on this iron. Yeah. It's like, it ain't going to do nothing but break. That's yeah. going to be a disaster. I had to go get the history and the knowledge and the understanding from these product makers, mm -hmm. true product makers, and mask makers. Believe it or not, I learned a lot about how to make molds and how to use, like, uh, 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 these different foams and 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 resins and things from mm -hmm. the people that make all these scary Halloween masks, mm -hmm. and you know it's been awesome. But I'm going to honor that craft to go fulfill my personal use case or my personal vision. You yeah. know what I mean? So, so hopefully we can get into more about how we can make sure that we're passing on uh, good design practices and principles, and also teaching you how to break those rules yeah you know because we there's things that have to be invented and we're going into a world now in these next 10 years that we've never been before yep and we got to you know be ready to design for the future yep and if you don't know the foundational elements i'm not sure you can really be great going forward right you know so 
Um, so anyways, yeah. So I hope we get into some of that as we go through this. Because that's what I love, uh, 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 love this industry. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date with all things Colored by Design, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. Right on. And if you enjoyed listening, please leave us a positive rating on your platform of choice. If you didn't like it, don't, don't leave us a rating. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. We'll see you next time. Have a good, have a good week, everybody.